You're listening to a recent sermon from a Covenant Church worship experience. For more information, you can find us online at covenantchurch.us. Everyone has a worldview, a framework through which they interpret reality and answers to life's ultimate questions. Many people, however, are unaware of the view they embrace. This message is from part three of our series, The Wild, where we are learning how to live with a biblically-based worldview. And now, here is our lead pastor, Pastor Travis Davenport. Well, hey, good morning. How are we doing today? We doing well, church? Come on, come on, come on. We're doing well? Come on, get some energy. Some energy. Good to see you guys. Uh, hey, happy Memorial Day weekend. I don't know if you guys have plans for today, if you're going boating or or yachting, or, um, I don't know, mowing your grass. That sounds fun. You know, it's funny things that um, when you're a child, you really hate to do, but when you become an adult, maybe have kids, you really look forward to. You know, like mowing the yard is one of those. Any dads in here, like, agree with me? Yeah, yeah, me and you, that's it. Like, that's it. Everybody else is like, no, I still hate mowing the yard. All right, well, we enjoy it. Um, Hey, last week, um, actually two weeks ago, we began this new series entitled The Wild. We're talking about worldview through the eyes and through the life of a man, a prophet in Scripture named Elijah. Turn to your neighbor and say, Elijah. Come on, that's a beefy, biblical, Old Testament name. Um, And it actually means the Lord is God. The Lord, he is God. God placed Elijah on this earth literally to help correct and shift and focus a worldview back to a God-centered one. And that's the context in which we find Elijah's story. And so we've been talking through the life of Elijah, and today is kind of one of the pinnacle moments in Elijah's life when this battle of the worldviews takes place. And so I'm really excited about it. Last week we mentioned and referenced uh, Jesus and the fact that his first sermon recorded that we have um, was given to his hometown, and he actually talked to or talked about Elijah. And so he's, he's in his hometown, you think he'd get received well, but Jesus actually, after he's done preaching, what did they try to do to Jesus? Do you remember? They tried to kill him. Exactly. Like, so it didn't really go over that well. Like, you know, engaging expectations. I doubt anybody was like, well, it'll be a good day if no one tries to kill me after I preach. Uh, sometimes it can be difficult to, <laughs> to preach to your home crowd. Let's just say that, right? And Jesus is a great example of that. And today we have an opportunity to hear from one of our own. We're really excited um, to hear from Pastor Mark Cox, who's going to be launching. He and his family are going to be launching Access Church in Columbus uh, this fall. And so just, just one expectation this morning, okay? Just one. Are you with me? Are you hanging with me? Okay, just one. After he's done preaching, don't try and kill him. Man, that joke didn't go over very well in either service. I tried to set him up, but... I don't know. Um, Hey, if you would, let's stand to our feet. Give Pastor Mark a welcome here from Covenant Church. Let's welcome him this morning. Come on. Good to be here with you guys. Um, You guys just need to know that we love and appreciate Covenant Church um, because when we moved here, we didn't know who we would be connected with, who we'd get to know, who would support us and all those kinds of things, and, um, and we got connected with Covenant. We feel very loved and appreciated. Um, I get to spend time with your staff every Wednesday um, as long as I'm able to get, get down to Grove City. Um, it seems like things have been picking up a little bit more busy lately, planting the church, so things are a little crazy, and, I, and I've been missing the staff lately, but, but it is a big deal for me to get to spend time with your staff and get 
get to spend time with Pastor Travis. And so um, I just want to express like the utmost honor and thankfulness and gratitude to your church. Like you're kingdom minded. You're being a great example. Um, you know, you took us in. And so we just are so thankful for, for Pastor Travis, for the staff, for you guys. So just give yourself a pat on the back for that one. Like we love you guys and we're just excited about Covenant Church. So um, glad to be here with you guys for sure. Um, we are continuing on in this series called The Wild. I love it because I love this story. And Pastor Travis teed me up big time for like the best part of the story. So um, if I drop the ball on this one, it is totally 100% just my fault because this is the really, really good part of the story. So just to kind of give you a little bit of the end before we get started, um, at the end of this story, God is going to have like a gigantic mic drop moment, like where he does this supernatural thing and, uh, and the whole nation is going to have like a, a, a change of mind. It's just going to be a good, 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 good lesson for us all. And so I'm thankful that he gave me uh, one of my favorite passages to speak on. We're going to be in uh, 1 Kings 18, if you want to start there. Um, I, while you're turning there, or if you don't have a Bible, it'll be on the screen for you. I did want to share, we're talking about worldviews. Obviously, we have um, some worldview division in not only our nation, but in our churches today. If you go to one church, they may say this. If you go to another church, it may be something completely different. If you've ever had that kind of like whiplash moment where you realize there's lots of different belief systems, um, I did a little research this week, and I found, um, I found all of what I'm about to say on LifeWayResearch.com. LifeWayResearch.com. Very easy. To, I found this within 30 seconds on their website, and it is not necessarily, like, good. Okay, so just heads up. 67% um, of Americans say heaven is a real place. Okay, so... So 67%, it's still kind of like, it's a majority, it's kind of good, but 45% of Americans say there are many ways to get there. And what we believe the Bible would say is that there's one way, and that's Jesus, because he's the only way, truth, and the life. There's no way to the Father except by him, right? So 45% of Americans would disagree with that. 67% of Americans say people are generally good, and which means like, okay, if you believe there's a heaven, like we kind of believe that we're just going to get there automatically because we're generally good. And like Pastor Travis said a couple weeks ago, um, if you have kids, you know that people are generally not good, right? Or if you've ever had a moment where um, someone does something to hurt your kids or to hurt their feelings or, or like another kid makes fun of them, you learn that there's not only sin in them, but there's sin in you as you start devising a plan to like rip their head off, right? <laughs> like there's sin all around. Like people are not generally good. 56, this is a tough... Pastor Travis be sitting down for this one. Uh, 56% 56 of Americans say pastor's sermons have zero authority in their life. Like, oh gosh, it's like, what am I even doing? You know what I mean? Um, now, we know that the authority is in the word of God, but we would hope that communicating the word of God, there's some hope there. But 56% of Americans would say there's no authority there. 45% of Americans believe that you can interpret the Bible however you choose. Um, 45 percent, uh, 48, excuse me, percent of Americans believe that the Bible is the Word of God. So less than half percent of Americans believe that the Bible is straight from the Word of God, and even lower than that, 43 percent believe it's 100 percent accurate. So it's no surprise to us, and I'm not sure anyone is really surprised by that. You may have even thought they're even lower. Who knows? But we understand that there's division in kind of like our biblical worldview, um, not only with our nation, but right 
right inside of our churches as well. And so we've got some work to do, um, and, and we're going to look to the Word of God um, to, to get through it. So we're in 1 Kings 18. The last two weeks of the series have really been setting this moment up. You have Elijah, who is called by God to basically do some hard things. He goes to the brook, right? After he predicts a drought, goes to the king and predicts a drought, and then immediately God's like, okay, leave right now, run, you know? And so he goes and hides at the brook where birds feed him for like a year. And that's all we know about that story, <laughs> right? There's not, not Netflix, right? He didn't go through like, you know, like Seinfeld's coming out this summer. So excited. There's nothing. There's nothing, right? Like there's nothing to do. There's no Xbox. There's no, um, he's just waiting by the brook and he's being fed by ravens, which is like, I don't care if it's a raven or a bald eagle. That's disgusting. Right? I don't care if it's the most revered bird in America. Um, like, that is disgusting. And so, um, and then two years after that, or two years, I should say, um, next, he spends time with the widow at Zarephath and her son. And all we know about that is there's a little bit of food, there's flour, and there's oil, and God makes it last for like two years, which just doesn't sound exciting. Right? I don't want to eat that for lunch today, like just one time. And, um, and, then, and then you have the moment where he has to raise the son from the dead. And that's all we know. And there's like three years that go by and there's like three stories and that's it. And so we understand that Elijah, like understand the context. Elijah has been chilling by himself almost for three years. And then there's this like, at, at what point do you think maybe I followed God, I did what he asked and I feel like I'm being punished, right? Because sometimes we do feel like that everything is supposed to go well for us. I think one of the worldview shifts we need in our nation today and in our churches is to understand that you may follow God and that may still um, end in some loss of health and some loss of friends and some, like, it doesn't necessarily mean it's gonna go well for you if you follow God. In fact, what is it, C.S. Lewis, who would say that following the will of God is, is like dangerous, like God is dangerous, but he's good right? Um, and so we have to understand that the biblical worldview shows us that, like, we are promised God's presence, but we are not promised wealth. We're not actually promised health. We're not promised prosperity. Any, we are promised God's presence. And listen, that's enough. That is enough. Like, we don't need God's stuff. We don't need all the extra. We need God, and he is our source. In fact, if you want to talk about source, go back two weeks ago, listen to Pastor Travis's message on how he was fed by ravens for a year. Like, that is God's source. That is how God chose to produce and to provide for Elijah. Um, and so God is our true source. So we're up to this moment. Three years later, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, God says, all right, this is the day. Elijah, go tell Ahab that it's about to be on. You know, that's the, the, the remix version. Go tell uh, Ahab that it's about to be on. And he goes out and he basically challenges Ahab and the nation of Israel. Remember, Ahab is a bad king. He's the king of Israel, the northern kingdom. And uh, this is the guy who's supposed to be, like Israel is the chosen people of God, right? And they're supposed to be good. And they're a terrible example of what the people of God look like. Um, and so Elijah, this one man, is sent to Ahab and all the prophets. There's 450 of Baal, and there's 400 of Asherah, and he is going to confront them all. And there's going to be a contest, and it's going to be awesome. So in chapter uh, 18, verse 20, we see this. So Ahab sent all the people of Israel and gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel. And Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you go limping between two different opinions? 
If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. That's going to be our key verse. We'll come back to that in just a minute. Don't go limping between two different opinions. The people did not answer him a word. That's a lot of people, by the way. Then Elijah said to the people, I, even I only, am left a prophet of the Lord. But Baal's prophets are 450 men. So let two bulls be given to us. Let them choose the bulls for themselves. Cut it in pieces, lay it on the wood, but put no fire to it. I will prepare the other bull and lay it on the wood and put no fire to it. You call upon the name of your God. I'll call upon the name of the Lord and the God who answers by fire. He is God. And all the people answered, sounds good to me, right? Like this is the moment where if you're watching, like, um, if you remember what it was like to be in, like, elementary school or middle school or high school even, and, and then there's this moment where the little guy picks a fight with the big guy and says, at 3 o'clock, we're all going to meet at the playground. And you're like, there's, by the way, th- this is terrible, but there was no better moment being in middle school than, like, oh, there's going to be a fight. Like, like, I'm not paying attention to class anymore. I'm just like, I can't wait for there to be a bloodbath on the play. It's terrible. It's terrible. Um, but you, you think like, man, you're tiny and he is extremely large and you just challenge him to a fight. Like if I'm, if I'm standing there watching Elijah, I'm like, you just called upon the name of the Lord to set something on fire. Like that's, that's a big, that's a big, so like understand the gravity of the situation. If I were Elijah, I just speaking honestly, I probably would have been afraid to do this. This was, I don't know if he's like shaking in his boots in this moment or if he's just totally confident. The rest of the story lends me to believe he's very confident. And you'll see why in just a second. So um, uh, they all said it was, uh, it sounded good. Verse 25, Elijah says to the prophets of Baal, choose for yourselves one bowl, prepare it for your many. In other words, give me some time to prepare mine because I'm here alone. Um, and call upon the name of your God, but put no fire to it. And they took the bull that was given them, and they prepared it and called upon the name of Baal uh, from morning until noon, saying, Oh, Baal, answer us. But there was no voice, and no one answered. So they limped around. Notice that, that it says limped. They limped around at, after the, um, at the altar that they had made. So at noon, Elijah mocks them. This is hilarious. If you think the Bible's boring, you're not reading it. Um, he cry aloud, for he's a god. Either he's musing or he's relieving himself, right? This is like, or he's on a journey or perhaps he's asleep. Maybe he needs awaken. Hey, somebody go knock on the bathroom door and let Baal know that he's missing the party, right? This is like a huge, like, so this is the point where I think all the fear is gone because he's just like, oh, you guys have no clue what's about to happen. So they get upset. They start cutting themselves. Um, they cried aloud. They cut themselves as the custom uh, with swords and lances until the blood gushed out upon them. And as midday passed, they raved on until the time of the offering of the oblation. But there was no voice. No one answered and no one paid attention. So then Elijah. Elijah says to the people, come near to me. And all the people came near to him. And he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been thrown down. Elijah took 12 stones. That is also important. We'll get to that in just a second. According to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be your name. And with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord. He made a trench about the altar, as great as would contain uh, two seahs of seed. And he put the wood in order and cut the bowl to pieces, laid it on the wood. And then he said, fill four, four jars with water and pour it on the burnt offering and on the wood. And then he says, do it a second time. 
And he says, do it a third time. Like drench the offering with water. And the word ran around the altar and filled the trench also with water. So at the time of the offering of the oblation, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant. Right? That I have done all these things. What? At your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you are Lord, uh, that you, O Lord, are God, and that you have turned their hearts back, that they may know, right, that you did this, not me. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering, the wood and the stones and the dust, and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when the people saw it, they fell on their faces. This is the moment. And they said, the Lord, he is God, the Lord, he is God. And I just think about what would it look like what would it look like if there was enough people that would stand up for a biblical worldview in a city like Columbus? And what if the metro area in Columbus, there would be people off from different areas and different corners shouting, the Lord, he is God, the Lord, he is God. What would it look like? That's the vision for what we're after at Covenant Church, at Access Church, at all our churches in Columbus. We are after the people in Columbus being able to confess that the Lord, the Lord, he is God. So there's all kinds of things happening. There's more to the story, but I want to call us to just a moment where we recognize that there are nine components in this story. I know it sounds like a lot, but it's important that we pay attention to it. There are nine components to this worldview shift. So if you're a note taker, um, write fast because I'm going to kind of hit them pretty quickly. So there's nine, nine components. The first one is that Elijah prayed earnestly that it might not rain. Elijah prayed earnestly that it might not rain. Prayer is a big deal. Um, prayer is our communication source with God, and sometimes don't we just flat out ignore it because we've got other things going on. And it's not even necessarily an active decision to run away from, from our communication source with God, but we just drift. Why? Because we've got other stuff to do. We've got other things that maybe we're worshiping. Like on a practical level, we are worshiping false idols when we run right past God to our other sources of comfort. That should scare us. That should scare us. Um, so we would never call ourselves idol worshipers, but we are when we run right past the one true God for other sources. Uh, James 5.17 says this, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Right, right before that, in 5.16, it actually says the prayer of a righteous man, or the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Great power. The prayer of a righteous person, someone who has called upon the name of the Lord, someone who has surrendered to the Lord, that person's prayer matters. Right? God is hearing their prayer. There are prayers that God doesn't hear. Right? There are prayers, like if you're a man and you're beating your wife, God says, I'm not hearing it. Right? You need to get right with me. You need to get right with your wife. You need to quit that. And there are specific scriptures in, but the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. We ought to be praying for God to move not only in our communities, not only in our churches, but in our very hearts. Right? Our very hearts. The second thing is that Elijah caused them to realize that there was no middle ground. This is actually my favorite point. Um, because this is the moment, like if you look in verse 21, he says, how long will you go limping between two different opinions? 
And the word limping is kind of weird. So here's the word picture. This is like the idiom that the writer was using. Like think of like when you're a kid and you used to climb trees and there's, there's branches that can sustain your, your weight and then there's branches that you probably just ought to ignore, right? And so um, the, the word picture is you've got this strong branch over here with a good like thick connection to the trunk. And so you can always try. In fact, you're not even thinking, is it going to support my weight? You just know it will. And then there's this one over here. And so you kind of like, you do this and then you, you know, a little bit by little bit. That's the picture. And the picture specifically is you've got this strong foundation in God. That's all you need, right? That is all you need. But sometimes you go over here for your trust. Sometimes you lean on this for your foundation or for your source of comfort, whatever it is. Think about it this way. Like I think of the song, How He Loves. And I think of the lyric like, he is jealous for me. And for a lot of people, that was a weird lyric. But in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, we see a God that wants us, right? Not a piece of us. He wants all of us, right? He is jealous. He, he wants you, right? And he wants you to want him. But we go after functional gods, don't we? We go after status, right? Even, even standing here, like, I would, like, I'm just going to put myself out there. Like, I would say, I want to make sure I look nice when I preach. I want to make sure that I look like I have it all together. I want to make sure that, like, everything is in order. Or when I'm in my neighborhood, I want people to think, like, hey, like, we're, like, we are a good example of a family. Or there's all these things where I would kind of, like, look to myself, and maybe that's a pride issue. Maybe it's a, maybe it's a, I need to look towards God for all of that issue. You know what I mean? Maybe it's money. Maybe it's you've got to have the nicest car in the neighborhood. Maybe it's you've got to have the nicest clothes in the business meeting. You've got to have the highest numbers. You've got to have the, the, the most friends on social media. You've got all that kind of stuff. We put our faith in that, and we don't think we do, but in our moments, here's the deal. In our moments of, like, uh, when everything breaks down, what is it that you run to for comfort? And that's what you worship. Because it would, it would be correct that we would run to God, lay it at his feet, right, at the foot of the cross, and say, God, I, 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 I need you to be involved in all. I need you to take this. I need to put my trust and faith back in you. But we do run right past the cross to relationships and to a pursuit of money, you know, a pursuit of status. Um, there is no middle ground. Ladies, think about it this way. What if? What if your husband, your, your boyfriend came to you and was just like, man, I got an idea. Like, this is just going to be, like, this is going to set our relationship on the right path. Like, just this weekend alone, just hear me out. Just this weekend alone, I go this way, you go that way. We do some experimenting with some other people. Kind of see how it goes. Just, you know, like, absence makes the heart grow fonder, right? Like, we ought to be able to, like, I'm just trying to pursue happiness. Don't you, like... Don't you want my happiness? And what would you say? Nope, not interested in your happiness at all. Not at all right now. I'm interested in kicking you in the teeth. That's what I'm interested in, you know? Like if you want to get this over here and that over here, that is much like us going to God and saying, God, I appreciate, like Sunday mornings, I'm going to give to you, right? Because like I'm not working on Sunday. I'm not really doing it. Like I, I'm going to give Sunday mornings to you, but don't expect my Monday morning in the business meeting. Like I'm going to do what I have to do. Um, and what God would say is you are depending on multiple sources and it's got to be just me. Like you're in decision with God. If you're 99% God and 1% kind of like depending on yourself, you actually are 0% trusting in God because it's got to be all or nothing. Your indecision with God is actually a decision to do it on your own strengths. Your indecision with God is actually a decision to do it on your own strengths. And so there is no middle ground. Right? We call the, 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 the nation of Israel back to God. The third thing 
God repaired the broken altar. Verse 30, he says, uh, uh, come near to me. All the people came near, me, near to him. He repaired the broken altar that the Lord had thrown down. Um, it is very important that we see that not only does there need to be brokenness for there to be a, world, a worldview shift in our hearts, like for you to turn to God, obviously he has to do a work in your heart. There needs to be brokenness, and we should be praying for that. But there are also systems in our lives and maybe even our churches where we have arranged our world in such a way that we can't fully give ourselves over to God because we're either depending on ourselves or we are ignoring segments of society that God says to run after. Um, I was talking with our core group. I didn't tell the first service this, but it's, just, it's, it's kind of aching in my soul right now. I feel like our church in, 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 uh, in Dublin, Access Church, I'm calling us to, to change our minds about what happens when we see the homeless person. Because I've grown up thinking, well, I mean, if I give money to them, they're just going to go spend it on blah, blah, whatever it is. Right? And we've all had that moment. And I'm not saying this way or that way, but here's what I'm saying. If you read the Gospels, Jesus is constantly going after the hurting. And he's constantly saying, hey, religious leaders, wake up. Right? You've got all you need. Go after the hurting. Go after the broken, the poor, the lame, the blind, the homeless. Go after them because they need me. Right? We just taught on this, this story of the, the, the great banquet. There's this moment where this guy throws a party. And all the wealthy people, his friends, don't show up. Right? They're all, ah, I got other stuff going on. And then the master says, go invite the poor, the lame, the blind, all these people. And what happens? He says, they're already coming. Why? Because they know they need it. That is a picture of us. We are not the wealthy people. We are the poor, the lame, the blind. And we ought to be smart enough or intuitive enough or have a, a broken mindset enough to know that we desperately need Jesus and there should not be a thought. There should not be one moment where we try to do this life on our own. Like when Jesus invites us, we ought to be like, yep, I'm in, whatever you want. Whatever you want, I'm all in. I'm all in. And so he repairs the broken altar. Whatever it is that's broken in our lives, we need to fix it and arrange our lives around God and not around our own systems. Four, Elijah reminded them of who they were prophetically supposed to be. So you know that, you note that in, in verse 31, there's the, the 12 stones. There's the 12 tribes, the sons of Jacob, um, whom the word of the Lord came saying, Israel shall be your name. There are centuries of, of history uh, behind them that would show them that God, right? He parted the Red Sea. He rescued them from slavery. He fed them in the wilderness. He gave them the promised land. He gave them um, deliverers. He gave them judges. He gave them prophets. He gave them everything that they needed. And he said, listen, just trust me. And what happens? We went from a monotheistic, like God is everything we need, to we can go after many gods. Somehow that happened. What he's doing is he's saying, no longer. You are a prophetic nation. The 12 stones of Israel was set up as a covenant. Remember the covenant cutting that we talked about last Christmas? Like God has cut a covenant with the nation of Israel. Those 12 stones as a marker um, were, were there to remind us that God has done great things for us. And we ought to always remember that he is the one that rescued us, not these other sources of our, of our comfort. So, so it's important that we are reminded who we're prophetically supposed to be. Five, Elijah methodically arranged the wood and the sacrifice. He followed after what God told him to do, and he arranged the new altar, right, with a new purpose that would eventually be used uh, in the right way. Six, Elijah filled the altar with water. This is huge because obviously that takes it out of Elijah's hands, right? Because when I do a campfire, 
I have two cans of lighter fluid because it's fun that way, right? Like, I'm like, you know, and, and my wife is like, honey, maybe just more. It, we need more. We need, this thing needs to light the forest on fire and then we will roast marshmallows. Like, I don't know what it is, but there was no, there was no, like he doused, he made it impossible in such a way that only God did this. We need to arrange our lives in such a way. We need to humble our hearts and have a worldview shift in such a way that we would know that God is the one who did this, that God is the one who saved his people, that God is the one who rescues us. We look to him alone. So he douses it with water. The fire comes down as a result of what? Elijah's prayer, Elijah's faithfulness, his, his, ask, his relationship with Elijah, but his response to one man standing up and saying, the Lord is God. The Lord is God. Like this was what will bring repentance to the other people, but God has already seen repentance in, in, in one prophet and one man introducing it to a whole nation. The fire comes down. Sin is removed from the camp, right? This is a tough one, and I don't have a lot of time for this one, but in the Old Testament, you know what they did to false prophets? Like they're gone. They're, they're killed. They killed. They slaughtered the false prophets. Sin was literally removed from the camp. Um, and they had a mind change. They had a worldview change. And, and I, don't, I don't necessarily think, okay, we talked about killing people earlier. Thanks, Travis, for that. Um, I feel like I'm a little bit bigger than Jesus, so I'm not going to slip away easily. Um, like, I would totally be the guy who preaches and there's wrath. And like, nope, he's not. He, like, we can definitely see where he is. He's a little more landmass than Jesus. Um, but there's, um, there's this moment where they had to rearrange their hearts in a way that was humble towards God. And I'm not saying we need to kill people, but I'm saying we need to kill some poor motives in our hearts. We need to kill some ideas in our hearts that would say that we can go to other sources um, for God. And the last thing, spiritual restoration led to earthly and financial blessing. Earthly and financial blessing. These are big, guys. These are big. We need a Mount Carmel experience, but here's what I want to say. Like, this is the last, I want to close with this. In fact, the band can go ahead and come on up um, and, and get ready. But we don't need necessarily, because a, a Mount Carmel experience without Elijah is not a Mount Carmel experience. Why? Because Elijah was the one that was being prepared that three years, right? Elijah was the one who humbled himself for three years and waited on God's voice, right? My picture of what Jesus, or what um, Jesus, what Elijah was doing in that moment is he was waiting for the voice of God. He didn't know if it was going to be three years or 30 years, but he knew that God was going to call him. So God calls him, and it's time, but only after he has trusted and depended on God. And I'm, I'm, I'm asking for you to consider what it would look like for all of us to be willing to be groomed next to the brook or with the widow at Zarephath, the outsider, to be groomed and to wait for God to do something because when God does it, it's eternal, right? When we push it forward, it's, it's temporal, but when God does it, it's eternal. And I wonder if there'd be people in here that would say, I'm willing to be groomed by the Lord rather than to try to prop myself up. Because everyone wants the Mount Carmel experience. Everyone, you know, I think of even like, like in the Fast and Furious, Vin Diesel wins a race and then he gets out of the car and he's just like, and everyone wants to be that guy, right? And every guy in that moment was like, yeah, I kind of want to do that. I kind of want to go get in my Ford Taurus and um, <laughs> too close to home. Sorry. Um, everyone wants that. Everyone wants the moment where God uses them, but no one wants to wake up early and spend time with God. And that's backwards.
Everyone wants to go on a mission trip and drill wells, but no one wants to ask the Lord if there's hope or love that they can share with their neighbor, right? Everyone wants to go do something amazing. Everyone wants to stand in front of thousands and said, thus saith the Lord, we need to call the nation back, but to actually drive past someone that we know needs help. And we kind of say, oh, I'm busy. I'm going to the restaurant, going home. This is my time. The person who has surrendered to God in the mediocre moments, in the minutia of our lives, right, is the person who has surrendered to God in the big moments. What God would say is if you're faithful in the little, right, you'll be faithful in much. So I see Elijah. We know Elijah's character. We see that he had radical obedience in doing everything that God said he wanted him to do. He had audacious faith. Going to the widow at Zarephath was kind of risky, but he did it. Relentless prayer, right? Fervent prayer. That should be a part of our lives. And total devotion. When he says, how long will you go limping between two opinions? Guys, that ought to be us. And we will never have a worldview shift as long as we keep interpreting the Bible how we think it should be interpreted, as long as we, we, we ignore God's call to, to reach the lost, as long as we do life our own way, and, and as long as we rest and find trust and faith in our own sources, in those temporal sources, as long as that happens, there will not be a worldview shift, and more so, there will not be revival in our communities and our churches because they won't happen in our hearts. They gotta happen in our hearts first. So who will be willing to let God do a work in you before he does a work through you. Thank you for listening to this message from part three of our series, The Wild at Covenant Church. We hope you've been impacted by what you've heard today. Visit us online at covenantchurch.us where you can invest in life change through giving or find more impactful sermon audio just like this.